If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. That's what our conversation with the government has been about. And our conversation with the community is, you know, let's, let's take back organic. Let's have organic mean organic. And let's have a label that we can trust. How is our current national organic program misleading us as consumers and allowing certified organic products to fall short of what organic actually means? What are the problems with hydroponics, and why shouldn't they be allowed to be considered organic? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons and Buffy, which makes betting that's earth-friendly and cruelty-free. Its newest comforter is called The Breeze, made 100% from eucalyptus fiber to regulate temperature and keep us cool and comfortable all night long. I'll share more with you shortly along with a discount code, but for now, to our conversation with Dave Chapman, who runs Long Wind Farm in Vermont and is the co-founder and executive director of The Real Organic Project. I first learned about his work through Judy Shorts, our guest back on episode 130, and I have to say, this is a conversation that really fired me up, just learning about the shocking realities of what certified organic can mean today. So stay tuned, and he does have an important call to action for you at the end, so I hope you'll join me in that and in taking forward this conversation and movement. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. I actually grew up on a farm. I grew up on a dairy farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and I was not a very a likely farm kid, so I it, I never expected that I would be a farmer when I grew up, and I wasn't. I did a lot of other things, and I came to Vermont as a young man and just sort of stumbled into farming, growing vegetables organically. This was back in the 70s, around, well, around 1980, and, you know, there were a lot of young people in Vermont at the time finding fairly alternative paths and organic farming was sort of the only way that 
anybody would imagine farming, a lot of startup enterprises. So I started a very small market garden with a friend. I had a team of oxen. They were my my tractor. And I did that for a couple of years and things just grew and grew and got bigger. And But I've been growing vegetables organically since then. Mm-hmm. So since about 1980. Well, it's been a long journey for you since then. Today, you're the executive director and founder of The Real Organic Project. And this name itself, The Real Organic Project, immediately implies and gives us insight into how there's organic out there that may not be so organic. So I'd love for us to start with the basics. What exactly does organic even mean or what should it mean? Well, let's start with what it should mean, maybe, or what it always did mean until recently. So organic farming is based on, to put it in a really simple concept, that you feed the soil instead of the plant. So that means if if you're growing vegetables and you've got a tomato plant growing, instead of opening up a bag and giving the plant some nitrogen and some phosphorus and some potassium, you're trying to feed the life in the soil. You're trying to you're trying to provide organic matter so that the microbes in the soil will replicate and grow and expand. And you end up with a very rich, diverse community in the soil. And the plant is part of that community. So a plant will make sugars, make energy from photosynthesis, and it will exude about maybe a third of what it makes in that that process. And it will exude it through its roots as food for all the microbes living right around the root zone. And those microbes take that energy, and in exchange for that, they'll give the plants nutrients. And they, they, it's a much, much broader system than the root system. You know, all the fungi and the bacteria, the fungi make these beautiful web-like networks, and they go out and they actually mine the mineral as, you know, parts of the soil, and they make those minerals available to the plant, and they transport them back, and they exchange them for the uh, sugars and the other assimilates that, that the plant is feeding. So it's this amazing whole economy that's going on under our feet all the time. And we didn't invent it. And we are a product of it. We are a part of it. And I think that the idea of organic farming was that if we embrace that economy under our feet and participate in it and do our best to enhance it, it will provide us with the food that is most nutritious and the healthiest plants, the healthiest animals, the healthiest humans. And I say there's one thing that's a relatively new idea. I don't think Sir Albert Howard really considered this, but also the the healthiest climate. Mm. And that whole system is is part of a water conservation system or a water management system and a carbon management system. And all of that works to create a much more stable, cooler climate than, than industrial agriculture does. So what did you notice was wrong with organic today that led you to start the Real Organic Project? Well, let me say that, that when the USDA took over organic certification from all the, the local chapters, I, I was not in favor of that, but I'm just one person. And... I, I shrugged and said, well, we'll see how it works. And I thought it was working pretty well. So when in did Vermont, this oh gosh, I think it 
the law passed in the, around 1990, but it really, the National Organic Program really took off around 2000. Okay. And, and so, you know, it's been 19 years now. In Vermont, from all the evidence I could see, it was working pretty well. All the organic farmers I know are really organic, and there were no confinement animal operations being certified, and there were no hydroponic operations being certified. I didn't know anything about fraudulent grain imports from uh, Eastern Europe. So it seemed to be good. The system seemed to have integrity. I trusted the food that I bought in the store. And about 2000, I knew in 2010 there had been a debate on the national level about whether or not to certify hydroponic. And I had submitted testimony to the group that was debating that. And they had come up with a conclusion in 2010 that it should not be certified. And I thought, good, great, we, we solved that one. And then around 2013, I started to see a lot of tomatoes in the wholesale market. So I, I grow greenhouse tomatoes in the soil inside a big glass greenhouse. So I work very hard to, it's very intensive agriculture. I make compost outside of the greenhouse and bring it in. And we have a very lively soil. There's a lot of life in our soil. And the plants thrive under that. And the food tastes, the tomatoes taste very good. So I mostly wholesale them. And I noticed a lot of very beautiful tasteless tomatoes coming out of Mexico that were certified organic. And I asked for around and I discovered that they were hydroponic. And I was like, well, that's not right. We, we fixed that three years ago. And I discovered that there were a lot of hydroponic tomatoes coming in. So we started talking to people on the national stage. We actually started talking to the, the head of the National Organic Program about what was going on. And we were concerned, so a friend of mine, Davy Miskell, and I uh, started some petitions. We didn't know what to do. We are just farmers. We are not organizers. But we started a couple petitions, and uh, we started one for farmers, and that got about 500 signatures. And we started one for consumers, and that got about 1,000. And these petitions were kind of significant. They created a, a, a roadblock for the for the hydroponic producers because we got a lot of very prominent people, famous organic pioneers to sign them. So Elliot Coleman signed the petition and Fred Kirshenman and Dan Barber and Michael Pollan. And, you know, these are, these are people who within the food community are, are very well known. So that began a, a fairly, well, a, a national debate that's, that's been growing ever since then. And we've had rallies to, try and bring attention to this where farmers show up and tractors and you know all of that it's great theater i think in 2017 we had 17 rallies across the country mm. and you know some of them were very small and some of them were pretty big and and the final rally was down in jacksonville florida and that was where this advisory board to the usda was voting on whether or not to further limit hydroponics from the from the recommendation in 2010 and the the 2010 recommendation passed i think the vote was 14 to 1 so it it passed overwhelmingly and in 2017 the vote actually lost uh, on this board and the board is entirely appointed by the secretary of agriculture so the fact that there was such an enormous shift 
in this advisory board in a seven-year period on an issue that is fundamental to what organic means was a big deal. Let me let me just say, you know, why is this important? What does it matter if hydroponic production is certified as organic? Hydroponic production, just to for people who don't understand, is about plants that are grown in which all of the nutrition is su- is supplied as a liquid feed, or almost all, you know, virtually all. And it's a very well-established way of growing plants commercially. The greenhouse vegetable production in the world, there are thousands and thousands of acres of greenhouse vegetables, conventional. I'm not talking about organic. And they're virtually all hydroponic. And that is because it is so productive. You get a very high yield per per acre, per square foot. As Vandana Shiva says, yes, it's a it's a high yield per acre in terms of product, but it's a low yield in terms of health. So the health per acre isn't so good. The nutrition, in my mind, to my belief system, is inferior. Mm. And that we just can't, in a laboratory, beat Mother Nature in terms of providing the kind of nutritional density and complexity that that really complex soil system can do. So if I've got a pound of organic tomatoes to sell that are grown in the soil and a pound that's grown hydroponically, the hydroponic pound is always going to be cheaper. So if, it, if those are the only factor is price, the hydroponic system wins. It's cheaper. The, the cost of production is less. I would say it's worth less. So, you know, then we get into a much more complex conversation and my customers have no doubt about it. Our tomatoes taste better and people buy them for that reason. And my farm is doing fine, I just say. But the food system is being transformed by this hydroponic invasion. So uh, you live in L.A.? Yes. My daughter lived in L.A. And I was going out. I served on a USDA task force to study this issue of hydroponics and organic. And on my way to the meeting, which was in San Diego, I stopped and visited my daughter in L.A. And I went to the uh, Hollywood Whole Foods. And I walked in. And there was a beautiful display of whole trade tomatoes, organic, certified organic. And I asked the produce guy, I said, excuse me, but are these hydroponic? And he said, I don't know. I said, okay. And we talked about some other stuff. And I said, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, what? He said, what does that mean that you asked me? I said, about being hydroponic? He says, yeah, what does hydroponic mean? He didn't know. So I explained it. And he had a beautiful produce department. And almost all the food was local, grown within 60 miles of L.A. I was amazed. I was really impressed. And this guy really cared about his produce. He cared about his customers. And when I explained what hydroponic was, he said, well, that's not right. I said, no, I don't think it is right. And he said, well, how can I tell? I don't, I've never seen any labeling. I said, no, they don't have to label it. He said, well, that's not right. <laughs> I said, well, I agree. And that's the problem. That's actually why I'm here in California is to try and fix this and try and change it. Because people have the right to know when they go in and buy something that's certified as organic, they assume it's grown in the soil. Just the way they assume that that milk that is certified organic comes from a cow that was raised on pasture, or that those eggs come from chickens that were running around outside 
on the grass. But unfortunately, more and more, this is coming not to be the case, that the food that is being offered with the organic seal often is coming from these large confinement livestock operations or from these large uh, hydroponic berry or, or tomato or cucumber or pepper operations or lettuce. And more and more of the food isn't the food that we mean to buy when we go and spend our hard-earned money mm. to pay that premium for organic. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing that right now we're seeing millions of people, literally millions of people in America turning to buy organic and choosing to buy it for the best of reasons. They don't want the pesticides, but they also want food that was grown in a way that has that nutritional density. They want food that was grown. They want those cows to have gone out on pasture every day the way they were evolved to, to eat. They want them to have a natural diet instead of be, being there and essentially stuff-fed just the way a hydroponic tomato plant practically is an IV. So the people are being misled. And I, and I say that most of the certified organic farmers in America really are real organic. So it's not like there are all these cheaters. It's a, it's a tiny handful, but they're enormous operations. Mm. You know, the, the biggest dairies, some of them have like, you know, 15, 17,000 cows in a facility. And they can't possibly be going out to pasture every day. And yet they're getting certified by the USDA. And that's what our conversation with the government has been about. And our conversation with the community is, you know, let's, let's take back organic. Let's have organic mean organic. Mm -hmm. And let's have a label that we can trust. On the health piece to do with hydroponics, I was just talking to Dr. Chris Nichols, who's a soil microbiologist. And that episode will have aired right before this one. So our listener can Great. check out episode 141 after this conversation to learn more from her. But I was mind blown because I learned from her that the bioavailability of the nutrients within our food, meaning how well our bodies and gut microbiome are able to break down and absorb nutrition from our foods, that depends on these beneficial soil microbes facilitating the plants to uptake those nutrients from the soil into the plant, which means that foods grown hydroponically, their nutrients may not be as easily absorbed by our bodies compared to real foods grown in our earth. So I believe and I hope that there's more research being done on the health implications of hydroponically grown produce compared to produce grown in the earth. So we hope yes. to see more research on this front as well. And particularly when I was watching your speech on YouTube, I was mind blown when I heard you say that CAFOs are or animal factory farming they're allowed to be labeled organic so that is true yes yes that is unfortunately true and let me just say chris nichols is a national treasure so i'm, I'm glad that you got her on your show yeah. she's really a, a great soil scientist and one of a number of soil scientists i've talked to about all this so yes right now kfo just for people who don't know is an acronym, C-A-F-O, and it stands for, it's a USDA term, it stands for Concentrated Animal Feeding Operation. So by definition, it's a certain density of animals, and I think if you're over something like 700 cows, you're, you're officially a CAFO, and I, it's, it's much more for chickens. But th there are a number of operations getting certified as organic that are these large confinement 
feeding operations. With eggs, there's so much regulatory thing that is going on. And unfortunately, we keep losing. We keep losing in the regulatory battles. And it's really important that we don't get discouraged because the real organic farmers are out there and they're growing the food and they want to sell it to people and people want to buy it. It's a tragedy that that it's hard for people to find that food in the stores and it's a tragedy for the farmers. It's sometimes hard for them to find a market. But yes, it is happening. The, the head of the National Organic Program told me that if the animal welfare reform that he was pushing hard to get passed, if that passed the USDA, that would actually lead to the decertification of over 75% of the organic eggs in America, which is a staggering number. And that's that's well over a billion dollars. And he said, I had told him, if you don't, if you don't call a moratorium on hydroponic now, they're going to be too big to fail. And he said, we're going to pass this animal welfare reform, which is going to decertify that billion dollars worth of eggs. So don't tell me we're afraid of too big to fail. And, you know, Miles worked hard to pass that, but he failed. Mm. And Miles is gone. And the animal welfare reform is gone. That was thrown up by, by Trump's USDA. And the CAFOs continue and continue to expand. So this is the, the problem that we all have. And, and the problem extends far beyond America, unfortunately, because we're importing um, some of this foganic food from the rest of the world. We're, we're bringing in hydroponic peppers from Holland that could not be sold as, as organic in Holland, but in America, they're, they're considered organic. Wow. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's tragic. It really is. So how do we take back our government? How do we, how do we reclaim uh, the organic standard? I don't know if we can, but we're trying. But in the meantime, we formed the Real Organic Project. And the Real Organic Project is essentially, it's a, it's a nonprofit. It's got an educational mission, which is to talk about this and understand it better with both eaters and with farmers and with regulators. But in the meantime, we, we have created a label, which is an add-on to the USDA label. And you know, if you get certified as a real organic project farm, it means that you're not a CAFO, that your animals actually go out to pasture and the chickens actually go out. It means that you grew your vegetables in the soil. It's almost laughable that we have to have a label to prove these things. This is just <laughs> what organic farming means. Yeah. But we're not, we're not winning there. The sharks came when, when there was blood in the water and the blood in this case was money. And the money was that all of us want to buy better food. And it's wonderful that organic is so popular. So we can't, we can't be despairing about that. That's a good thing. What's unfortunate is that we have to become very uh, aware of the fact that, that there's fraud in the organic label now. And there's a lot of real organic in the organic label, too. So I still go into the store and I still buy organic, certified organic, always. Mm. But I also know that I, I, I have to take some responsibility for it. I can't just trust the label. So basically, in order to appeal to the larger corporate-run farms, the national standards for 
organic certification were loosened in order to allow them to be able to keep operating under organic. Yes. Yes, and I will say that sometimes the standards were loosened, and sometimes the standards simply weren't enforced. Mm. There was a spectacular series of stories that the Washington Post put out in 2017 on basically organic fraud, and one of them was about Aurora Dairy, which is the biggest certified organic dairy in the world, and it was about a, a specific one of their dairies in Colorado. And the journalist did, uh, I think he did about an eight-month investigation. He visited the place a number of times. He did flyovers with drones. And he uh, had the milk tested for things like conjugated linoleic acid, which is a real biomarker for the cow was on pasture. And he showed very clearly that those cows weren't on pasture. And he had, he, he went there eight times or whatever, and they were never out on pasture and the flyovers, they didn't see them. They'd see a few cows out on pasture, but not 17,000. And the milk tested low. So, you know, all of this went on. Well, it isn't that the standard wasn't good. It's that the standard wasn't being enforced. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't being enforced by the certifier. And then the National Organic Program did, did an investigation and it wasn't being enforced by them. They called up Aurora and said, we're coming next Thursday. And when they got there, it was amazing. All the cows were out on pasture. So it wasn't a very credible investigation. So sometimes the standards are weak, but sometimes they're simply not being enforced. Right. I was just thinking the other day that it's really strange how responsible farmers have to prove and oftentimes have to pay to get certifications to prove that they're practicing responsibly while large corporate farms or other farmers who may not be doing things responsibly not only get away with that, but are also profiting off of that. Yes, it's, well, it's, it's immensely profitable. Of course, if, if we're having a race and, and I say, well, I get to use two legs, but <laughs> you have to tie yours together, I'm going to win the race. And, and that's what I mean, that, that hydroponic production is always cheaper, and that's why the world's conventional greenhouse vegetables have gone virtually all hydroponic. And the same is true for livestock. It's cheaper to do it in a CAFO. And that's why, whether they like it or not, conventional producers are being pushed to become CAFOs or to go out of business. Mm. And, you know, the conventional dairy industry, the farmers are, are going out of business in droves. And and now it's being true in the organic dairy as well. And that's because you get these huge farms. I think the USA Today had a story that the six CAFOs in Texas produce 1.3 times the milk of the 450 certified organic farms. The six CAFOs were also certified organic. So 1.3 times the milk of the 450 farms certified in Wisconsin. Wow. And that's a staggering thing when you think about it, just to get a sense of the scale of these operations. These are large industrial complexes. You can smell them from a mile away, more than a mile. They're a real bad thing to have as a neighbor. They're just, you know, Wendell Berry said it beautifully. They've, They've taken two great solutions, one great solution, and turned it into two problems. And the two problems are that instead of having a a farm where the animals go out 
and and they poop in the field and then that fertilizes the field and you grow the food for the animals there or they're eating the the grass there you've now got the the feed for the animals being grown far away and they can't get the manure to the fields so the manure becomes a hazard in and of itself in these enormous uh, liquid lagoons and the animals are having a hellish life and they're they're being fed an in inappropriate diet the cattle in these CAFOs don't live all that long, two or three years, and then they're cycled out. So these are real, these are real factories, and it's not pleasant. And nobody that you knows would ever want to work there, and or even visit it. And the food is inferior. But if it gets that organic label, how can we tell in the marketplace? And and that's that's the tragedy. And and we must remember that. There are most of the farmers certified organic are real organic, and we have to find some way to support them. And that's not just to support them, but to support ourselves. That's the food we want to eat. So, of course, if you can buy local, know your farmer, that's the best. But most of the people are buying their food in stores now. They live in urban environments, and they're buying their food in stores. My daughter, as I say, lived in L.A., and now she lives in Honolulu. My son lives in New York City. You know, they're going to go and get most of their food in a store. That's why we do still need labeling, even if we ourselves do know our farmers. And we, we need a label that we can trust. So, of course, the best solution is to put so much pressure on the USDA that they, they reform the label. But until that happens, and I'm, I'm not optimistic, although I still work hard for that, but until that happens, I think we need a label we can trust. And Real Organic Project is is creating that label. Last year, we had 60 farms across the country who are certified. Some were in California, some are in Texas, some are in Florida, some are in Iowa, some are in Minnesota, so all over. And all kinds of farms, grain farms and, and livestock, chicken and, and poultry and vegetable, all kinds of farms. In California, Full Belly Farm is, is one of the farms that is certified with us. They're very famous farm out there. They do a lot of CSA, a lot of farmer's markets, is a vegetable and almond farm. So this is going to grow. This year we'll get hundreds of farms and next year hundreds more and soon thousands. I think with, with people's support, this is going to grow because I don't know what else farmers can do. Mm. And I don't know what else consumers, eaters can do except to start demand other things. There's another label called the Regenerative Organic Certification that Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's are supporting, and that's a very rigorous aspirational label, and I hope that they succeed. There's a Demeter for biodynamic. So there are these alternative labels coming, and they're all good. You know, all of those. One of the things that we have to guard against is that we see it in things like worker welfare, where they've got a lot of labels now, and that's the problem is again, the sharks come to the water if they go, oh, people care about worker welfare and I can't qualify for this one, so I'll invent another one mm. that's much weaker. And it, it's a problem. And I, you know, there's just no simple solution except that we need to become more sophisticated as customers rather than just becoming a follower of a brand, even a follower of the real organic brand. 
because maybe somebody will invent a fake real organic <laughs> brand. You know, we it, it will probably happen. So we need to become sophisticated. We need to understand some of why the biology of agriculture is so important and not just say, well, I believe in organic because now we're not sure what that means. But if you have some understanding of the community of plant and soil and sunshine and water and how that all works as a system, we become harder and harder to fool. These are important things for our civilization, for the species on the planet to understand. If we start talking about climate change, and we must talk about climate change, then we have to see that a sane agriculture is probably the most hopeful path we have towards reversing that. We have the technology now. What we don't have yet is the widespread understanding and the social will and the commitment to do it. But we can do it. We don't need to invent anything new. We just need to change what we support in the marketplace and what we insist on from the government, what the government's going to support. These are doable things, not easy. It's not easy to change these things. We have to understand that one of the hardest things to change is our own behavior. And then if enough of us change our own behavior, it becomes a virus and it spreads across the land. Well, it seems like you've been needing to go against big money and corporate influence in trying to establish more transparency within the industry and better standards. So what's been the most difficult part for you in doing this, and what is it that keeps you going? The most difficult part is that sometimes it's hard to persuade even our friends. We always win in the end, but it can take a while. And it's difficult for me uh, if I meet an organic farmer who doesn't really get it. And if we talk, they'll get it. But you realize that that sometimes it takes a lot of talking uh, to get somebody to understand what's going on. When I started in this, almost nobody understood. People understood about CAFOs, but hydroponics was elusive to them. Now many, many, many people get it. So that that was the hard part. It's still hard. I mean, sometimes you know, I get a I get attacks, mm. and that's that's not fun. The best part by far is that I have become much more connected with a community of people. I was a very isolated farmer for many years. I just, you know, I, I raised my kids and I worked very hard on my farm, like most farmers. Most farmers are really having to work hard just to make a living. If you add in raising a family, it takes up all of your time. So I was not very engaged in a larger community. As my kids grew up and left home, and as I sort of stumbled into this debate, which is now an international debate about organic integrity, and I'm just you know one of many voices in it, but it's not just a debate. It mo- mostly, for me, it's a discussion. I mostly am not talking to, or, you know, hydroponic corporations that that hate me. I'm mostly talking to friends. I'm talking to people like you who are people of goodwill who want to learn more and want to understand and many of them know more than me. Like Chris Nichols, you know. I'm I'm a mere baby compared to her at understanding what's happening under our feet. And so as a result of getting engaged in this, 
I've gotten to know so many people, you know, journalists and scientists and organic pioneers whom I'd never met and organic pioneers whom I have been close with, but maybe I hadn't seen in years. And, you know, Elliot was my, Elliot Coleman was my, really one of my very first teachers about how to farm organically. And I was fortunate to live down the road from him. Elliot's a very well-known vegetable grower, organic pioneer. And he moved away from Vermont, where I live, to Maine, and I didn't see him as much. But as we got into this, it was wonderful. I, I started talking to him again more and more because he is very involved in this as well. So for me, that's the best part, is seeing this community growing and growing. And it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful community. Finally, in addition to supporting these higher standards that you mentioned earlier. So, of course, the Real Organic Project, Regenerative Organic, the Demeter certification. What do you think we need most to be able to transform the agricultural sector into one that's truly organic, regenerative, and champions and supports responsible farmers as the norm? Well, we need the education I've been talking about, but for the other one, I'll quote Michael Pollan which is that if we're going to have a meaningful food movement, we need to be able to light up the switchboard. So that means that we need to make it that if we say everybody needs to write a letter to the National Organic Program, we need to be able to get half a million letters. If we can do that, yes, we'll change the world, right? We really will. The whole thing with hydroponics and CAFOs only works if we're looking the other way. And the moment, you know, there, there are probably, uh, I don't know, 35 or 40 million people in America who are regularly choosing to buy organic. And it wouldn't take 35 or 40 million people to be involved to change this. It would take three or four million, just 10% of them. If we get three or four million people who say, I care about this. I absolutely refuse to accept to uh, have hydroponics being certified as organic. I absolutely refuse to accept these CAFO chicken and cattle to be certified as organic. Guess what? We win tomorrow. It's mm-hmm. over. So what you're doing and, and what Chris is doing and what I'm doing, what we're all doing is to build to that point of having a, a, an involved, committed movement. And if we speak with one voice, many voices speaking together, then we get a chorus and and we have harmony and then we have real power. And are you trying to coordinate this communication with the USDA or should we begin writing letters now? And who do we write to and what should we write? <laughs> well, the first thing you should do is go to realorganicproject.org and, and sign up and so that you get our emails. And that's how we from our small part of this world will try to coordinate the effort. If there's an effort to focus attention on the USDA, we'll send out a letter saying, please do this. I sent out a letter about three weeks ago, and it's great. I got 12,000 people who read it, and it was an important letter about the USDA is now allowing people to have no transition time to organic from hydroponic. I mean, they're hydroponic and they're conventional and suddenly the next day they're organic. And that means yesterday I could have been spraying glyphosate or some pesticide and I bring in new pots of coir and this today I'm certified organic. That's not right. We all know that's not right. Everybody agrees that's not right. And yet it's happening. So if we have a way of communicating... And right now, the best I have is to sign up 
for the Real Organic Project, and, and we will communicate with people. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to tell you more about our sponsor. Buffy's new comforter, The Breeze, is hypoallergenic and is 100% plant-based and cruelty-free. No down, no polyester, but made entirely from eucalyptus fiber, which uses 10 times less water than cotton to grow and, in bed, helps us to stay cozy without overheating. I'm actually trying it out myself right now. It is super soft, and personally, I do prefer natural fibers for things that come into contact with my skin, so this is definitely a winner for me. If you're interested, you can try one out in your own bed for free, and if you don't love it, you can return it at no cost. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter your discount code GREENDREAMER. Again, that's B-U-F-F-Y dot C-O and GREENDREAMER for $20 off. For now, to our final five. Let's power through! What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow? Very few, but I occasionally follow Seth Godin's blog because it helps me to think Mm. and challenges my thinking. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? That I'm not alone. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? It would be to spend a little less time working on this and a little more time doing Tai Chi. (laughs) What's one thing you're working on to live more sustainably? I'm really working very hard on reducing the carbon footprint of our farm. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? I guess the people that that I see so many people who are working very hard to make things better. It seems that, that more and more people are setting aside just what's in it for me and are seeing that, that it's a very critical time that we work together for a common good. Well, thank you so much for this deeply insightful conversation. We would, of course, love to keep learning from you and receive your newsletter. So where can we go to follow and support your work online? Yeah, go to realorganicproject.org. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? <laughs> keep it up, Kamea. It's great work you're doing, really. So keep keep bringing in these these really articulate people like Judy and Chris and giving them a platform so that we can all learn. Well, I promise I will continue to bring amazing humans on the show. And yes, let's keep learning together. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the podcast and it's been meaningful to you in any way, I really hope you'll consider becoming a patron if you're able to so that I can keep the podcast going as a free resource for everyone. To do so, you can head to greendreamer.com support. And with that, you'll also gain access to our Green Dreamer network. To support us in alternative ways, you can also share the show in, on social media with friends who may also enjoy the podcast or by writing a hopefully five-star review sharing what you're enjoying about the show. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer. <laughs>